What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Week 10 DFS MVP. I'm your host, TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS at 444.com. As always, with my co-host, Matt Savoka. If you are new to the DFS MVP, every week we go over our favorite values on FanDuel and DraftKings for the main slate. We also like to cover a theory topic, ranging from the macro to the micro, trying to get you to be a better DFS player overall. This week, we will be talking about attacking small field and single-entry GPP. Uh, give new strategy for that specific game type. Before we get into that today, don't forget to check out our other DFS shows. Every Monday, Matt and I do a cash game review on YouTube, 11 a.m. Pacific time, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Every Saturday, a Yahoo DFS value show drops on the DFS MVP podcast feed, as well as the Yahoo Fantasy podcast feed with Yahoo's Matt Harmon. And every Sunday morning, DFS GPP last look with Jordan Vanek. That's Sunday, 8 a.m. Pacific time, 11 a.m. Eastern time in our subscriber-only Discord. So make sure you sign up for the Discord in the description below. And if you haven't signed up for the DFS subscription yet, our price did drop down to $49 for the rest of the year for the DFS sub. So make sure you go over to 4 for 4 and take advantage of that discount now. And today's podcast is brought to you by WinBet. WinBet is bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports from boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport we have what you need to win sign up today to receive a free special offer risk-free one thousand dollar sports bet download the win bet app now and use the promo code four for four that's the number four for the number four to claim your risk-free bet today matt welcome to week 10 sir Hey, happy to be here as always. Yeah. Compared to last week, this has <laughs> been an easy news week, and we actually yeah. got some clarity on some of the running back situations. Mm. So uh, I'm excited to just dig into a regular DFS main slate. Should be a good one. Yeah, for the most part, we got any injury news uh, we we uh, that is super relevant. We got kind of early in the week. It looks like going into um, we're recording this on Friday, going into Saturday pretty clear on who's going to be in and out like the only big question mark i think is going to be chris godwin um so i think that and luckily that is the uh the early slate of games so by the time we are we get our 8 30 um a.m inactives on on the west coast 11 30 inactives on, on the east coast we should be pretty clear on everything and i don't think godwin will like he's not gonna obviously he's gonna be a great value if he's available like the only thing it might switch up is Mike Evans might end up being the most popular player on the slate if Godwin's out. But I mean, um, other than that, um, mostly cut and dry. So let's get in to week 10, our positional breakdowns. And let's talk about your top quarterback uh, for week 10. Yeah, top quarterback. We're going right back to the well with Josh Allen. I know we get a hard time from our producer, Sal, that we choose Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, whenever they're available. But you know what? This is the it better go well spot yeah. for Josh Allen because it was a big whiff last week. Let's be honest. No one expected that nine to six outcome last week. And, you know, it was just it was just not a good show from this Buffalo mm -hmm. offense. But besides the fact that there are some question marks and there will be more next week if there's a problem, there's no one close to the New York Jets in terms of schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing offenses. This yeah. is just a smash spot even compared to last week's smash spot. And I think that Allen's 5.6 yards per attempt, which was way lower than his season average of 7.0 this season, was an anomaly, just a blip on the radar screen. And, you know, he has been down from that 7.9 yards per attempt that we saw last year. But there are some underlying advanced metrics that say that Allen should be a positive regression candidate in the passing department. In total QBR, which player profiler looks at throw takes uh, takes away throwaway passes, he's seventh in total QBR. And in the QB composite rating, which compares uh, EPA per play and completion percentage over expectation, that's a mouthful, he's also <laughs> seventh among all quarterbacks. So he's still in that elite status for me as yeah. a passer, although the production hasn't been there. And of course, he's still got the rushing upside that you always have from Allen. 6.4 carries, one to two red zone carries a game. His eight rushing TDs is third among all quarterbacks. I'm going right back to the well, even if the salary remains very high. Yeah, I, I think like a lot of people, I mean, people are talking about like that cover two shell that, that Jacksonville played against um, against the Bills last week. And I mean, 
they struggled coming out of the bye against Miami. But then we saw, you know, Miami looked really good last night against the Baltimore. So maybe Miami's defense is just a little bit better than we were giving them credit for, or at least they're scheming better. And I agree, it's I, I, it's probably just an aberration. I mean, this offense, compared to the Chiefs, I don't think it just has the fundamental flaws that, that the Chiefs have. I mean, Chiefs are just, if if you take away, like, Tyreek, we've seen them really struggle. Um, they, they've had a lot of risky high turnover uh high likelihood of turnover type plays and and the bills don't have that like they struggle the game teams struggle um teams struggle you know it, it happens it's nfl you're still playing against nfl caliber opponents so it's not like we have this five or six game sample like we do with the chiefs and them struggling and i think there is kind of a when we have this narrative of like the chiefs have been struggling so bad and and uh, defenses are figuring out these offenses. Well, then when the Bills have a bad week in the middle of it, it's just really easy to carry that narrative on over to the next team. So uh, I agree with you. I, and I, I do have some more thoughts about um, the Bills in general coming up and, and their passing game specifically. But before we get down to the other positions, uh, another quarterback that I really like this week is Dak Prescott. Like you're basically getting all of at least the, the touchdown upside of Josh Allen and a little bit of a discount. Dak is 8,100 on FanDuel. 7,900 on, um, on, uh, I'm sorry, 6,900 on DK versus the Falcons. They are favored by nine, the Cowboys with a 31.75 implied point total. That's the highest implied point total on the slate. And for Dak, this is the, I mean, he, he's obviously been very good throwing a lot of touchdowns struggled last week, but this is the first game since week one that Dallas is facing an, an offense, a defense in the bottom half of schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. They've actually, if you look at their schedule has had, a treacherous schedule, but Dak has still been performing three touchdowns, three passing touchdowns in five of his seven games this year. And if we go back to that week one game against Tampa Bay, like the only other really weak secondary that they've played, Dak went for 403 passing yards and three touchdowns. Atlanta 28th um, in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to the position and uh, 71% of touchdowns against the Falcons this week. Uh, against the Falcons this year have come through the air. That's the sixth highest rate. So, I mean, Dak isn't doing um, a lot with his legs like he has in, in past seasons, but he's making up for it with efficiency. Um, obviously, if we're talking about like absolute ceiling, Allen has more because he can get you basically all of his team's rushing touchdowns. And, and we do know that Dak can lose some to the running backs, but he's still valued in such a way. His salary is, um, is low enough that he's still just a, a, a tremendous value compared to what we're expecting against this Atlanta defense. Yeah, I totally agree. It's just a strong process play too. Mm -hmm. When you have this high of a game total and a home favorite, this, this much, this, this strong of a favorite, you're probably just going to play players, especially with the way that the offense in Dallas has played overall. And shout out to the Hotspots app on the 444 <laughs> yeah. website where you can literally just go to the uh, the QB page and look at Dallas's team and you see red, 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 yeah. red. It finally opens up to green this yeah. week with Atlanta. So it's it's a pretty obvious spot in that regard for Dak Prescott. Yep. Let's move on to um, running backs. And, and we finally have um, like one of our, our true free squares of the year. Um, there's a couple other guys. We got news right before we hopped on here that um, Mark Ingram will be starting for Alvin Kamara. Uh, it looks like uh, Zach Moss is trending towards being out. So Devin Singletary might be able to get all, all of that work in Buffalo. But there's another men or close to men price guy that we really like. And who's that? Yeah, I'm talking about Dernis Johnson. I'm not the only one talking about Dernis <laughs> Johnson. The whole industry is talking about it. a little bit of a cop out pick mm -hmm. by me. And so I am going to talk about the difference between a player like Johnson versus Mark Ingram or even Devin Singletary, who I hadn't really considered until we found out uh, late this week that Zach Moss is truly questionable uh, and a game time decision here. Uh, it gets more interesting because we have more options, but I still mm -hmm. think We've basically seen this exact movie before with yeah. Ernest Johnson against the Denver Broncos, who are a really strong defense in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing offenses. He had 24 opportunities and 24 fantasy points. And the thing I was really impressed with was his ability to break tackles. If you watch mm -hmm. the game, it certainly popped on the screen. But you look at his evaded tackles rate, evaded tackles per touch, Right now, he is technically on player profiler. He's unqualified, but his 46% would be right there with the top running backs in the league 
For reference, Jonathan Taylor is number one at 51%. Mm. I know it's a small sample. I know that there is more to suss out here. And gosh, I don't know what they do if Dernis Johnson gets nicked up in this game. But I, I still think that when you look at New England as a run funnel defense, sixth best against wide receiver and 24th worst, or 24th best, so bottom 10 against running backs, I think you could do so much worse than this player in a vacuum. Then considering the salary savings you get, I don't think you can go away from him this week. And it's a better play on paper than Mark Ingram. I don't think you go away from him. If you're playing cash games, if he's such an obvious value, and I don't think too many people were going to are going to go with Ingram, maybe Singletary, but um, before we we had those guys with similar values, I think like in in double ups or fifty fifty, we could have seen Dearness approach like ninety percent in double ups and fifty fifties. I think it'll still be in that seventy seventy five percent range. If you get higher stakes, I think it'll could still get to that ninety percent range. So the point is, I just don't think there is because even if he busts, if everybody has him, it doesn't matter, right? You're you're that's a right. it's a wash with the field. In GPPs, I, I I do think it merits some discussion because if he does get over 40%, which I don't know how that's going to play out with, with uh, Kamara being out now and Ingram being an option as well. It just becomes a discussion of do you play him in GPPs? Are you overweight or underweight on him? I think it's such a – the reason I, I think you're overweight on a play like this is because you don't have an obvious leverage spot within the game, right? Like if something goes bad for Dearness Johnson, like the whole, off, the whole game's probably bad. This isn't a spot where like if um, – if like AJ Dillon was a surprise start where you have a very obvious leverage play in the passing game in Devonte Adams, like we don't have that for the Browns. We don't have a running back opposite the, the Browns. We don't have a Patriots running back that we could be confident in. That's going to get all the touches because now they have all these injury concerns. Yeah. We and they're have talking no about, idea yeah, there. they're talking about getting John <laughs> Smith like carries. So I don't think that there's not like an obvious leverage. So if it goes off the rails, it's just the whole game is bad. Uh, so I think the play is you go overweight on him and then you just throw in something like a Hunter Henry or Jacoby Myers opposite, hope they get a touchdown, hope they can find the end zone, even though they rarely do. That's the, the best way or or the Browns defense or something like that. Like find something that isn't going to take a ton of salary in the game to give you a little bit of correlation to lower the average ownership of that Dearness Johnson play. But there just isn't an obvious way like to leverage off of a bad game for him. So why go like, I mean, I guess people are going to say like maybe marking or, or marking room or Devin Singletary are the obvious price pivots and that's fine. But even then they're just, they're not, like these obvious blow up spots either. So um, I, I think it's a, it's a really great spot for, for Dearness Johnson and, and not a chalk play that I'm necessarily trying to um, fade. And, and just these, like whenever we get fr true free square running backs, a, a 20 touch guy at near minimum salary, those aren't generally the spots you want to try to overthink on. Like it's, it's opening up so much salary, use that salary to be contrarian on more expensive guys. Use it to like, if there's a $8,000 player, that's around 5% pivot to him instead of like trying to pivot to a, a cheap guy that, is bad uh moving on to, <laughs> i moving on to to the running back that i like james connor uh at seven thousand dollars on fandle 6300 on DraftKings. uh he had that massive day last week with um um i'm Cole sorry McCoy. for yeah. yeah with cole mccoy at, at quarterback and he's on 26 touches he saw uh five targets caught all five of them uh, and was just such a huge part of that offense with McCoy at quarterback. Obviously, Kyler's not there, not throwing it to a lot of receivers at all. Kyler hasn't been running that much, but not taking away any rushes. Uh, and then we look at the matchup against Carolina, Arizona as 10 and a half point favorites. I mean, I think we you, you could look at the, the matchup and see that Carolina's a top five defense, top three defense, schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed. But they really haven't faced a super strong running back schedule. We saw Dalvin Cook and Ezekiel Elliott both go over 20 half PPR points against this defense. We saw New England combine for 30 FanDuel points against them. So, like, it's it's kind of weighted heavily their ranking um, because they did really good against Kamara in Week Two. Um, but they are vulnerable. 45% um, of Arizona's touchdowns are, are coming uh, on the ground. That's the ninth highest rate. That obviously helps Connor, although we did see Connor um, break a long catch last week. 
And I do think the the game script here, the, the PJ Walker going against PJ Walker, maybe a little bit of Cam, but mostly PJ Walker is very important because I actually like, even though we saw Connor like blow up last week, I don't, I actually don't know if he has another 26 touch game um, here because I, I, I do think that there is a chance that, you know, Benjamin gets worked in a little bit more just because they weren't expecting to have to use Eno last week. He wasn't prepared to be rotated in, still saw 25% of the snaps. So I, I don't think it'll be like a 50-50 split, but I could see Eno Benjamin going in for like 40% of the snaps. I don't know if they use him on like 40% of the touches or anything like that, but 25% when they're not expecting to use him at all, um, you know, that's that's significant and something to think about. But I, I think it'll be fine at $7,000 on FanDuel and $6,300 on DraftKings. Um, you still have enough wiggle room to where, you know, if he gets you 17 touches instead of 26, I think you're still going to be okay. Yeah, I think so too. I, I had the same thought that early in the week, he looked like, honestly my favorite value play at the entire mm -hmm. position but then i got concerned that the touch load is going to is going to come down i i'm almost certain that they're going to still use two running backs what i don't yeah. think is going away is the red zone usage which was right. already right. sky high for james connor so as 10 point favorites you're just going with it uh, especially at that reduced salary still yeah, and I, I think I like him a little bit more as a FanDuel play because, again, I am kind of relying on that game script and, and the touchdowns there. And, I, I like, on DraftKings, he's still fine, but you got, like, Corderell at 66. So it's close. But, I mean, Connor's just – he's still just underpriced relative to what his usage um, should be uh, this week. Let's move on to wide receiver and talk about a guy in a game that uh, should actually probably be pretty high scoring. Yeah, I hope it is because the Colts have been playing well offensively. Um, and one of the weird things about that team in general is, first of all, they seem like a different team each week when they show up. But for their rushing grade, excuse me, their defensive grade as a team is very strong in the rushing, but extremely weak in passing, which creates situations mm -hmm. where it seems like every couple of weeks, Carson Wentz has to pass more than any player in the league. And Wentz has had three straight strong games and it's correlated well with Pittman's performance here. He's emerging actually as one of the most consistent producers at the position, yeah. 11 plus PPR fantasy points in seven of his last eight games, 20 plus fantasy points in four of those eight and a 30 plus score in there as well. So you have that in his range of outcomes yeah. playing the Jaguars defense that did play very well, moved all the way up to 24th in PFF's defensive rankings. We're not talking about them as some sort of elite team, at least not yet, as 10.5-point favorites against Jacksonville. Uh, yes, they shut down Buffalo, but what would we think of this matchup if Jacksonville hadn't done that to Buffalo? I think it would mm -hmm. be even yeah. more of a, spat, a smash play. And one thing I noticed about his stats this year, for a bigger receiver, the contested catch guy in the offense, he's 14th in the NFL in total yards after catch. Uh, the fact that he can break one off that way too just adds to his ceiling in the spot. Yep, and I, I think I, I love Pittman as uh, in all formats. I, I think targeting this game with like Wentz Pittman and and maybe even a Jacksonville bring back just because Indy's been so um, they've really struggled against the pass. I think if you are going to um, get off of a um, a Dearness Johnson lineup. I think a contrarian stack is just like a really easy way, um, easy way to do it. And you're kind of going to, if you like, you're not paying super far down for Car Carson Wentz, but it's below the range of like the, the Dak, the Tom Brady, the Josh Allen, the level that a lot of people are going to pay for. Um, so it can be like, it, it's, it's a, it's a path towards starting to flip the build. And I, I think if you get away from Dearness, like I actually like the idea of, just completely flip it instead of like trying to pivot to a Mark Ingram or a um, or Devin Singletary. If you're going to get off to your I actually think it's probably better just to flip the build and just like pay up for your running backs and and go with like a, a Wentz type. Now I know it's tournament theory, but I I just keep thinking about this. Dearness Johnson's such a uh, significant play this week and and such a unique situation compared to what we've had throughout the year. Like we've had this a lot in past seasons, but if you're if you're new to DFS, you haven't uh, you haven't seen like this like Uber chalk free square situation yet. So I think it is kind of fun to just talk about and think through the ways to. Um, build those tournament lineups when you have the free square it's kind of easy in cash games 
uh, with at, at a kind of actually kind of a similar salary, at least on FanDuel uh, to Michael Pittman. Mike Evans, 7,400 on FanDuel, a little more expensive at 6,900 on DraftKings, but this is a, a true smash spot for him, especially if uh, Chris Godwin is out. We already have Gronk out. We already have Antonio Brown ruled out. The Buccaneers are projected for just over 30 points uh, on the, um, the – that's the second highest on the main slate tied with the Bills. Washington's last in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. Last in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. And I, I don't think uh, people are surprised. Tampa Bay second uh, highest neutral passing rate on the season. Washington is facing the third highest neutral passing rate, giving up 74% of their touchdowns through the air Washington is while Tampa Bay is scoring 78% of their touchdowns through the air of uh, our, our breakout wide receiver model on four for four looks at expected fantasy points over a player's last three games. If we look at wide receivers on the main slate, Mike Evans already has the six most expected fantasy points among those players. Uh, if, if Godwin is out, he might lead the way in opportunity this week in a really high scoring game. So um, again, if, if Evan is, if Godwin is ruled out early, Evans probably ends up being the most popular wide receiver on the slate, but I think it makes him, he probably already is if a, a really good cash game play, even if Godwin plays, um, but just a, a tremendous cash game play. If Godwin ends up being out. Yeah. We're kind of in a situation this week where we're, kind of walking into the obvious cash game play. And we've mm -hmm. talked about this in our review podcast. A lot of times on DraftKings, especially the way the salaries are a little bit tighter, you, you just kind of have an obvious play. It doesn't yeah. mean it's the only thing, but there is sort of an obvious way people go. We might mm -hmm. actually have a situation where on both sites this week that ends up occurring. Yeah, I, I think so. And and I think there is uh, where it's already kind of leaning towards a studs and duds approach. And, and I think there's some opportunity to um, just really go all in on that this week, again, especially on DraftKings. And, and one of those guys that you can do that with is with a wide receiver that that you like and that I wrote up as well on DraftKings. Yeah, so you said it. I was going to talk about this right here. I, I'm thinking about flipping the build, thinking about just avoiding those salary saver running backs that everyone is working with so my wide receiver picks were with that exactly in mind it's interesting mm -hmm. that you saw that from a mile away because <laughs> i'm going with james washington who everyone's been talking about deontay johnson everyone's been talking about pat fryer they both had or, or especially fryer had yeah. excellent games and with deontay johnson the ceiling for his target share is just literally wide receiver one overall in the period of time that Claypool will miss. But the big switch here with the offense is that James Washington over the course of the season is going to go from trade me to every snap <laughs> wide receiver because they're going to need him. He's a near lock to play 80% of snaps mm -hmm. in the two games that he's done that he's ran 37 and 45 routes a season high of five targets. Okay, that's not impressive. But then you talk about how the Steelers are playing Detroit, who are putrid on a pure on a per play level. They are dead last in points allowed per play and yards allowed per pass attempt. I think Pittsburgh's 30th ranked offense can get that get them there. I think it's a little bit of a leverage play off of the popularity of Fryermuth, who is going to be very popular this week. And uh, no, it hasn't been that good this year. But looking back at his game logs from previous season, he did have two games of seven targets in 2020, an eight target and 11 target game in 2019. I'm trying to find that ceiling <laughs> score in there. And I do know that he has that one big play kind of upside where if he just catches one deep ball, breaks one big run at 5,100 on FanDuel or 3,500 on DraftKings, that's going to that's gonna help you in a big, big way. I know that's a low 45 point total, but the Steelers have 26 of those 45 implied points. That's actually eighth highest on the slate. It's a really good spot for the Steelers and Washington here. Yep. And, and I think if you think through like what you're trying to accomplish with a play like James Washington, uh, the, the low implied point total, the low over under shouldn't be overly concerned because anybody that you're using from this game, I think you're most likely just using as a one-off. You're probably just using Washington to, um, to get up to some other studs. Like maybe you could play him with 
Pittsburgh's defense or something like that. I think that's fine, even though it's like not technically a correlation play. It actually is a a mini stack that does work a lot. I have some more to say about um, Steelers shortly, but you talking about finding the ceiling with James Washington. I think the ceiling just comes from playing against Detroit. Like the their their numbers look like they kind of filter points to running backs because teams have just been able to play them so good and and run so much against them late. Running backs have been going off against them, so they have given up a ton of fantasy points to running backs and gave up a lot to wide receivers and quarterbacks, but not so much that um, they like look like one of the worst teams in terms of raw fantasy points allowed. But if you look at efficiency yep, it's metrics, by touchdowns, yeah, yeah, and touchdowns if you look, if you look, yeah, exactly. And if you look at efficiency metrics, like pretty much any efficiency metric, Detroit is near the bottom of the league. Any way you chop it up against the pass. So that's where the ceiling comes from. And again, I'll have a little bit more to say about that shortly. Um, going back to a play that I said that I would have more to say about uh, looking at Emmanuel Sanders at 6,300 on FanDuel and 5,700 on DraftKings against the Jets. Uh, you already talked about Josh Allen and, and the Bills being tied for the second highest implied point total uh, on the slate with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Again, you said get right spot for Josh Allen. Uh, Jets 30th in schedule adjusted fantasy points against quarterbacks. Uh, the Jets are bottom 10 in, in pass rush based on adjusted sack rate. And I think probably the most underrated aspect going into this game that people aren't talking about. Like the bills are struggling. They played too high against them. They can't run. Josh Allen has been throwing short passes since the bye week. Buffalo has been without their right tackle, Spencer Brown, and also Dawson Knox who, who can block a little bit, but especially Spencer Brown, we saw a couple of weeks ago on, on uh, I don't remember if it was a Monday night or a Sunday night game, but they just wouldn't talk, stop talking about how much Josh Allen likes rolling right, doesn't like rolling left. With Spencer Brown out, Daryl Williams, their right guard. Is... <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, <laughs> that's good. Um, someone make that uh, that that Photoshop, please. Um, Daryl Williams has had to move from guard to tackle in the last two weeks. The fifth most blown blocks among players that have had to line up at right tackle. Uh, Spencer Brown only had two blown blocks in weeks one through six, according to sports info solutions that was behind 36 other players that had to line up at right tackle. So basically they've had Williams playing out of position. They've, teams have been able to get pressure from the right side. Allen hasn't been able to roll out. And we've seen that his average depth of target in weeks one to six down from nine yards to about five and a half yards. So he just hasn't had time to let those longer plays develop. And if there's a player that that is going to help or that that hurts when when they don't have that, it's Emmanuel Sanders. All players in the league with at least five targets per game, Sanders' average depth of target is by far the highest, 17.4 yards average depth of target. And even like with the... Bills not being able to push it down the last couple of games and, and not running a lot of those, or at least not attempting a lot of throws to those deeper routes. Emmanuel Sanders still seventh in expected fantasy points over his last three games. That's third among players that are active on the main slate. So I love Sanders as a, as a breakout candidate. I love him as a value, uh, six, 300 Fandle, $5,700 DraftKings, And I really like him because People are going to roster Allen, even after his bad game last week, going to be popular, most likely probably pairing him with Diggs and Beasley. And then Singletary probably gets a little bit of ownership with, if Zach Moss is out. So you're getting Sanders as a breakout play, uh, but also as probably a low, low on tournament play. But I, I think he's viable in cash, especially on FanDuel. Yeah. Yeah. Our XFP model just loves this Bills offense mm -hmm. still. And maybe it has to do with the fact that it it rolls in the past 10 games of efficiency for teams mm -hmm. into our model, but it still believes in Josh Allen. And, you know, I've been thinking more about this. this Sanders was brought in, regardless of age, to replace the John Brown role. Yeah. And we saw the John Brown role disappear for a couple weeks in a row so i'm not surprised to see True. even more variance than the typical variance of a wide receiver with a role like sanders still really high value yeah that's a really good point and like you said if, if we think the bills and josh allen are still going to be right then all these guys are, are going to have um have some really really good games uh let's go on to the tight end position and go back to we mentioned this there's a game that you know maybe we could correlate a little bit you like a tight end in that game yeah, here's a little game stack option for you. On the other side of the Colts-Jaguars game, take a look at Dan Arnold. 5,100 on FanDuel, 3,500 on DraftKings. And the opportunity has been there. So he's kind of 
He stayed, he stayed tampered down because of his space in the Jaguars offense. That's just not a very good offense <laughs> yeah. to be a part of. But he still has a five-target floor for a position where we're begging for a five-target floor from these low-salary options. Yeah. In fact, he's 13th in target share and 12th in air yard share for the whole season. Yeah. And that's really impressive considering the fact that he was a part-time player in the early weeks of the season, really weeks one through five. Um, in fact, I was looking this up right before the show started. In weeks seven through nine, three-game sample some, for some teams, two. Here is the top five lists of tight ends in total opportunity share. I wanted to make sure I included rushes just in case somebody <laughs> had a rush here. Hawkinson, number one. Waller, number two. Kittle, number three. Kelsey, number four. Dan Arnold, ahead of Kyle Pitts yeah. at number five. He's getting a ton of usage, and he's hyper-athletic, 90th percentile, burst and agility, well above average speed. TJ, do you think there's maybe a name bias here because his name is Dan Arnold, and he <laughs> sounds like a substitute teacher? Or like I said, Sam Darnold wrong. That yeah. maybe people don't realize how good he can be. Yeah, he does sound like a um, he sounds like a sitcom dad or something like that. He sounds like he has his uh, his polo tucked into his khakis instead of wearing shoulder pads. So I, th I think there could be there could be some of that there. Uh, I mean, on on a serious note, we 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 talked about like the Colts being able to be attacked through the air, and one thing that that's um, that's shown against wide receivers a lot, but Dan Arnold actually top three in terms of percentage of routes split out wider or, or um, in the slot. So he's not really playing much inline tight end. They line him up uh, out like wide receiver. So he could be able to take advantage of some of those matchups uh, against the Colts uh, this week. You talked about Pat Fryermuth already in, in this passing game with the Steelers. Um, and and I, I do think James Washington is a really great pivot off of him because he is going to be extremely popular. But he is one of the best values on the slate at 5,100 Fandle, 3,900 on DraftKings. Him and Dan Arnold basically priced the same. They're basically seeing the same type of usage over the last month. The difference, Fryermuth has the... Um, has the game flow advantage as eight point favorites against Detroit's bad against the pass overall, but they just haven't really given up a lot of points to tight ends um, where the Colts they've given up the most adjusted points to tight ends. So you can say that maybe Arnold has the matchup advantage, even though Detroit's just bad um, uh, all around, but they are last in total fantasy points allowed um, to opposing uh, offenses obviously Pittsburgh we talked about down Juju Smith-Schuster down Claypool maybe down Najee Harris which would really throw a wrench in how uh, Pittsburgh is, is going they they might go back to like if Najee's out they might go back to like throwing 70 percent won't be very far downfield but that's fine for for the fire booth <laughs> if you're playing him um, seventh in target share among tight ends over the last month at 6.7 targets per game uh, Detroit's allowed the six most 100 yard games I don't know if fire booth has a 100 yard game in his range of outcomes but I mean, it's possible if you're getting enough targets. And and again, going just looking at Fryermuth and, and Dan Arnold, six of the um, six of the top seven tight ends in terms of fantasy points per game are either inactive or off of the main slate this week. So it just makes a ton of sense to to pay down. Like we can't really pay up. Like if you're Kyle Pitts is kind of the only guy you could pay up for, but in a situation like this, it doesn't really make sense to try to go after those mid tier guys, especially like for value or for cash games, like just go for a sub 4k guy on DraftKings, a, a 5,000 or sub 5,500 guy on FanDuel and, and take the discount on the week. Yep. And remember these salaries are set before Monday night football. So mm -hmm. he has that big game on Monday yep. night football. Yep. The salaries have not fully adjusted yet. That's something to take into consideration as well. Yeah. That's a really good point. Cause that was a, that was a two touchdown game, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to, uh, to defense and one of the biggest favorites of the week. Yep, I'm I'm going with a big favorite defense, believe it or not. But one thing I do want to mention before I mention my specific choice, I notice in the value rankings on DraftKings, there is not a single defense with a positive value score. Mm -hmm. They're all negative, meaning yeah. they don't look great in terms of their ability to get... I'll say it a different way. They don't need to be prioritized 
uh, right. especially on DraftKings. And in fact, it makes correlation that much more important. So when you play James Conner, the Cardinals defense, who is my pick for today, is even better of a play than they are on paper, on in a vacuum. And it looks really good on paper, in a vacuum. P.J. Walker, he's started three games, or I should say he has three games with 14-plus pass attempts. Let's put it that way, because sometimes he comes on in relief. In those three games with 14-plus pass attempts, he's averaging 1.7 interceptions per game. He's had a two-interception game on that, a three-interception game on that. And the Cardinals are no slouch defensively. They're fourth best in terms of overall adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing offenses, fourth best in yards allowed per pass attempt. That's tougher for opposing offenses. And they're second best in points allowed per play. In the context of defenses might not matter, Arizona's defense might actually matter. We know Buffalo's defense matters. Their metrics are so far ahead of the pack that we know that it matters. But Arizona, they might be getting there, and they've got a great matchup this week, especially at 3,700 on DraftKings. I think you could do a whole lot worse. Yep, and that that's actually a really good point about what you said about the the value metric on uh, 4 for 4 for the defenses because it does compare – it compares um, position versus position, but it also compares um, it. It takes into account salary, right? So if we look at how DraftKings structures their defenses, the high price defenses it's kind of on par with something like FanDuel, like the the highest price defense um, Pittsburgh on DraftKings. They take up about eight percent of salary in both FanDuel and DraftKings. But what DraftKings does is they really aggressively lower the floor for their bottom defenses. So if we look at a team like the Titans that I'm getting ready to talk about, the Titans only take up about uh, 5% of salary on DraftKings at at um, 2,600, but they're taking 7% of salary on FanDuel. So they're really aggressively giving you some floor defenses. So if we're thinking in salary, if we're thinking of a value, not just point per dollar, but relative value, it makes sense that there's no reason to prioritize um, these these good defenses or these defenses with these really big um, with these big spreads. So the Titans are are the team I want to talk about specifically because they are so much cheaper on DraftKings. They're still a fine play on Fanduel because um, you know 4100 isn't too expensive. Like they're only three point favorites, but they're playing against the Saints team that's only implied for a little over twenty points they have trevor simeon uh some combination of trevor simeon and and taysom hill uh playing quarterback titans are six in adjusted sack rate so they've really been able to get after the pass we saw them uh really get after matthew stafford on national tv last week and then whether it's simeon or taysom i think there's um you know, there's, there's upside both ways. If you can get after Simeon, put some pressure on him, have him throw picks or taste some mobile quarterbacks typically just have higher sack rates um, just because they hold it a little bit longer. So Titans are, are a really good value play for me this week. Yeah, solid play. I don't think you need to go there on FanDuel. Uh, I think no. thinking in terms of percentage of the salary, they are 7% of the salary. The Titans are, the bills are 8%. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think if you're if you're going up on Fanduel, you could probably get up to uh, to the absolute elite plays. Talking about those elite plays, I want to tell you about the easiest and most elite way to spice up your fantasy football season. It's Underdog Fantasy and their brand new Pick'em game. Just pick over or under on your favorite or your least favorite players and stats, and you could win up to twenty times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy to use website and mobile apps. Pick between two and five players and you could take home some cold hard cash head over to 444.com slash underdog claim your free 444 pro subscription and get ten dollars in bonus cast to play this weekend on underdog all right let's get into everyone's favorite portion of the show the theory segment this is the one that is near and dear to our hearts because this is these are the games that you and I typically like to attack. We love our cash games. Always throw a couple things at, at the big tournaments, but small field, single inter GPPs, small field three max GPPs. Um, we always, you know, we we talk about tournament strategy on four for four, and and it's usually slanted towards these um, bigger tournaments because that is what most people play, and there's just more large field tournaments available um you know if, if we're talking about something like the millie or the or the um the sunday million and, and talking about those concepts you know you everyone's not 
max entering those contests. But if you're playing any type of $1 to $5 game, like the, the size of the field is, can often, you know, it's in the tens of thousands. So those concepts are, are, um, are very valuable. But I, I do think you, if you're going to venture into some of this higher stakes stuff, some of the single entry or smaller field stuff, um, you really need to have a shift in perspective. And I think it's especially important when the, when the field shrinks. So let's just talk about some of your core concepts when you're thinking about shifting your mindset, Matt, from, um, like these larger field tournaments or the data that's just like widely available to these smaller field single entry tournaments where you only have one bullet or only have three bullets and, and you have to really like narrow your thinking. Yeah. First of all, I find these to be some of the most fun strategy situations that I think through in the week. That's why I love these, these small field single entry, three entry tournaments. Also, it means that we can sometimes move up in bankroll because we're just firing one to three lineups in and we don't have to worry about other people max entering against us. So yeah. I actually think I brought up this exact mm -hmm. concept on the very first DFS MVP podcast I was on, coincidentally, and I called it the chunk of chalk, mm -hmm. the chunk of chalk concept. Because in single entry and three entry, really just in small field tournaments in general, we're allowed to have a majority, a large part of our lineup be essentially what the field has told us, yep. what the good plays are. And so part of the game becomes determining what is what we call good chalk versus bad chalk. But what you see is the people coalesce around what is believed to be the good chalk. So mm -hmm. when you look at our ownership projections, they're usually slanted towards all tournaments, which include yeah. the large fields. So we're not going to have the ownership projections exactly correct for small fields where the top plays can sometimes creep up to 60, 70. And if it's really, really, really obvious smash spot, 80% own. The way I think about this chunk of chalk concept is we just need to gain, and I say in quotes here, enough leverage on the field. It's usually one to four plays that go against the grain of the obvious thought of the week. We talked about some of the obvious values already in the first segment of this podcast the rest of your lineup i say here sort of cheekily play whoever you want yeah let ownership and projections guide you to the best plays outside of your leverage spots because you already did it that's enough you're still utilizing positive correlations but that is truly enough with this game Yep. Uh, the, one of the first things you said about playing single entry or or three max tournaments, I think is really important, especially for um, new people or players that are on a limited bankroll. It's already hard enough to play against play DFS at all. Like most people that are player, I don't know if it's most, but most people like in our circle or, or the, that are, are semi serious have a, some kind of subscription, multiple subscription. Anybody that's on Twitter, that's a, a follower of us probably has some kind of DFS subscription. A huge percentage of the field is somewhat sharp. So there's, we already have an uphill battle for starting out at DFS. What's the point of, if you have 20 bucks to play, what's the point of playing something where you can where if you can only enter two or three times, why play against somebody that can enter 150 times, you know, not, not to say you can't win with one or two bullets, but why not just even the playing field as much as possible? So I do think that is super important. That just like, why give them more bullets than, than you have that if you can't afford it, don't do it. Um, and then something we'll definitely talk about a little bit more as we go on here, but you talked about these the the best plays in um, small fields uh, can often creep up to 60 70 80% own it's also one reason why i mean we we could do like specific ownership projections for each type of tournament but the problem with that is i if you do ownership projections for a small field say for like a 200 field tournament the variance in the ownership between the the contest can be so high. If you only have 100 to 200 players in a tournament, the same player in one tournament could be 40% on one tournament and 70% in the other. All it takes is a few players in the game to be really in on that player or out on that player, or maybe their step, maybe some 
a couple of players, if it's a three max tournament, maybe two of the of the entries decided to use all of their stacks on a team, and it's going to drive up the ownership of just one of those players in the stack. So the variance is so high that like a median ownership projection isn't really going to tell you much, especially like on on a chalkyish guy. Whereas in the millionaire, in a Sunday million, like a, someone that is if they're projected for 15 to 20%, they're going to fall between like 13 and 18%, a, a crazy high percentage of the time. And they're almost never going to get up to like 23 or 24%. They're just too much wisdom of the crowd, too many people going towards the same thing for that to happen. So the variance in the ownership is just so, so high because the field's smaller, right? If you're playing, if you look at it on the most extreme level, if you're playing against one person, you don't know what they're playing. The ownership on that player is either going to be hundred percent or zero percent. Right. So if, if as the field gets smaller, the variance on the ownership just gets that much bigger. There is no law of small numbers. There is only a law of large numbers. Right, right. We get much, much better as more players enter contests. We can get better at projecting what they're going yeah. to do collectively. Yeah. I, I do think there, there is still there. There's still some, um, we can kind of get a read on the field as, as you start to play more of these contests, you start to see similar players. Um, you should be, you know, if you're, if you're playing against people that are content creators, it, it's probably dumb not to be trying to figure out what they're going to be doing. Um, obviously in your specific contest, if there's plenty of, a ton of contests and it's single entry you might not know exactly what they're going to play but you can get an idea of what sharp players are going to be doing versus what the field is going to be doing um so what are some ways that you could differentiate yourself in these small field contests when we don't have super accurate ownership projections yeah i think wait shouldn't this be the tangent where we talk about how all the content creators in the entire industry collude with each other oh yeah <laughs> joking but yeah. tj basically just explained why so many people coalesce even in these single entry tournaments to very very similar builds because we're looking at very similar information and often we have some intermingling of the sites that we're looking at that's why the lineups remain the mm -hmm. same not because there's some giant Facebook message board that you're not on. <laughs> um, uh, sorry, getting back to the topic at hand. The way we differentiate ourselves in these contests definitely means something different than in mm -hmm. large field tournaments in really any, any sort of mass multi-entry where you have multiple shots at trying to get a win. The leverage play, <laughs> I, I kind of write this again cheekily in the show notes, that it doesn't have to be a bad play. In fact, if you've gone to what you would consider an off-the-wall contrarian play, you've probably deviated too far in this field. Um, a leverage play can even be yeah. done by going to a very obvious spot and just overdoing the correlation. Because mm -hmm. in single entry and small field tournaments, you can overstack the best stack, get the players not exactly right maybe get the highest score and the third highest score but miss out on the second highest score and actually get a dud and you could still get to the top if the chalk that you chose was the chalk that you needed to get to the top of lineups so you'll actually see players overstacking, having larger stacks in these kinds of tournaments than you would yep. in say like a millionaire maker yep so i mean uh there are, I, I took one tournament from DraftKings and, and looked at all of the top five um, lineups for this season. So over nine weeks, uh, we got a sample of, of 45 teams. So it's not a huge sample, but I, I do think it is a, a pretty good indication of how people are building lineups and, and building successful lineups in small field, single entry type tournaments. Again, this is for the, the $300 single entry um, on, on DraftKings. I think it's called the spin move. Uh, one of my favorite contests and just looked at uh, how they constructed their teams. Again, the top five lineups each week, the average cumulative ownership for top five lineups this year, uh, 162%. So um, an, an average ownership, what's out of about, um, about 17 or 18%, I think um, uh, a little bit higher, you know but so, sorry, uh, sorry. Do you know off the top of your head, the, average ownership of the millionaire maker it's usually around like 120 something right one yeah uh, over the last couple of years the average ownership of the millionaire winner has been around like 115 to 125 um this year the average ownership of the winner has only been 94 percent um and I, yeah so it's really low this year and i i think 
But again, we we have we haven't had a lot of like these Dearness Johnson type plays like we do this week. Um, ownership's been super flat. Like there aren't a lot of guys that have been around thirty percent to drive it up. So that kind of makes sense. But the point is, and again, we're just looking at like Millie winners versus top five in this one contest. The point is, your average ownership in these contests is going to be way higher than something that you're building. So if you, even if you are like, I, I don't think we, we talk a lot about like hand building versus um, using a lineup generator. I, I do think you think, you know, I'm playing a single entry contest. Why would I use a lineup generator? I do think it is smart to just to kind of like get an idea of how things fit together. If you have a super small player pool, like how do these players fit together at a glance? I can get a look at 100 lineups of players in my player pool at a quick glance. Right. Um, I, I, think the implication here is and you know maybe if you're playing three max and, and playing um you know 10 different three max games you might still be playing a bunch of different lineups if you're if you have a set ownership or if you're if you're used to building lineups with average ownership of like 12 percent or cumulative ownership of like 115 percent and you're putting those into these small field contests it just doesn't make sense and the reason it doesn't make sense is because that average ownership, that cumulative ownership target number of like, you know, whether it's 94% this year or 115% the last couple of years, you have a couple super contrarian plays and you have to lap such a big, you have to get ahead of so many people that you need to be very different in the way you're building your lineup. You still have to be different in these smaller contests. But if you, you know, uh, uh, if a millionaire takes 250 points to win, you might still be taking down one of these 200 person contest with 200 points, sometimes even less. So you don't need a 99.9th percentile score. You might need a 90th percentile score. And you do that by, you know, we all these sharp players have figured out what a lot of these good plays are. And um, it's, it's really hard to be perfect. And, and the, the, also, you're not getting the return on when you are that perfect, right? When you're playing in the millionaire, when you're getting the 99.9th percentile score, you want a 99.9 percentile payout. You don't want to turn your you don't want to turn your $300 into $7,000. You want to turn your $20 into a million dollars when you get that score. So why put you know if if it does hit, you're gonna be like, oh, I got the best best score possible. That's cool. You turn 300 bucks into seven grand. Like that's still good. That's a great day. Um, but but that's not what you're trying to do with those type of lineups. Yeah, and, and that's why people call these types of tournaments, they call them bankroll building mm -hmm. tournaments. Not because they're necessarily, they're, they're not suddenly cash games, but it doesn't require us to, again, play bad plays. It doesn't require us to go so far away from what we know on paper are the best options. And it's just about differentiating yourselves in certain ways. And one thing I will say, is I actually think the hardest part of this game becomes determining the best of the popular options mm -hmm. and sifting out the yes. worst yeah. of the popular options. And truly, I think this is my big, my big struggle in this format is it's hard to not have FOMO. And, yeah. and avoiding FOMO plays with just one lineup or three lineups is really actually difficult to do because you start building these player blocks, you know why you're building them, you start to build the lineup and you go, but wait, I don't have any of this person or I don't have mm -hmm. any of this team or I have 100% of this player and I don't even care that much about them. I, I just really think that the biggest thing you have to remember is you want to focus on specific game flows and then build a lineup based on that specific game flow i don't want to yeah. go too far into the concept of leverage again but think about what we talked about in that theory segment when this one thing happens what else occurs or when this popular player that i'm not playing fails who else succeeds because when you only have one lineup you can literally say things like okay this running back is hitting their ceiling game because i put them in the lineup when they hit their ceiling these other players hit their floor yeah. and we won't want to hit those players. I, and I'm making a little bit of an abstraction, but it can be as simple as I'm playing a Josh Allen stack because I know it's the best stack, but I'm switching out Allen for Sanders. And then based on that effect, I'm changing who I play as my run back option. That's the way right. I need to think with one lineup. Yeah. And, and again, when you're, when you are thinking that way, um, 
when you're playing that that Josh Allen stack, even if he is chalky, it kind of ties back into the idea of this super high average cumulative ownership, right? Because you can see we've seen this before. Like I think if you've played a lot of of larger field tournaments or, or just kind of fired at tournaments, you could kind of feel it when you're playing the game, right? If if Josh Allen starts off slow um, and he ends up with like 202 or something like that, which is okay, you're just like. I'm dead in the water. There's no way that's cashing like a, a large field GPP. If you have, like you said, if you're building around the the right chalk, even if Josh Allen is the chalky play, if you still have like the the Derrick Henry or whatever that goes off, you're actually still super live. Or last week, if you had the the Nick Chubb, like if you had Nick Chubb in, in a single entry contest last week, a 200, uh, 200 person contest last week, like you were, you were cashing even with a horrible, um, you know, with the horrible stack. Whereas like in larger field stuff, if you whiff completely on a stack, like a Nick Chubb alone just isn't saving you. Um, so you actually give your, you actually have quite a few outs in these smaller field tournaments, just because those single players can um, vault you up the, the leaderboard a, a lot easier because there's fewer players and, and it takes a, a lower score to win. It's kind of intuitive. I want to go back to something that, that you kind of touched on that I don't think we, we plan on touching on too much because we're kind of talking about the strategy of small field, single entry, three max type lineups. But the 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 bankroll concept of a lot of people do think of these as, as bankroll builders. And I think to an extent that's true if you're playing every type of game. But on the flip side, if you're somebody that is exclusively playing these or, or they're the biggest part of your weekly buy-in, which they are for me, um, you actually set yourself up for some really like high variance on a season long level. Because if just say, for example, your main buy-ins are just the highest stakes single entry contests you can afford, even if you're building five or six lineups a week and trading five or six different contests, uh, you have a very high percentage chance of just having zeros in a week. And I have a lot, at least on the tournament side of things, I have a lot of zero weeks and, and I'm used to it because I've been doing it for multiple years and, and the wins more than make up for it. But if you haven't done it before, you really have to be setting yourself up for the psychological effect of, of having some very long, not no cash streaks, but straight up zero streaks. Um, I Glad do you said th- that. Yeah, go ahead. Only because one win will erase it all. In Easy. these types yeah. of, of tournaments. Easy. And so in cash games, we're trying to think of it almost like a season long league. We want to yeah. go, we we want to go like nine and four, nine and five or, yeah. or oh, however many weeks there are in the season. We want to have a winning record. We yeah. just need one big win in these tournaments and we're good to go. Yeah. And I think it actually makes sense. Like if you want to be a, 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 a GPP player or a cash game player like if you really want to focus in on one i think it does make a lot of sense to put all of your energy into one and you're gonna have um different types of variants different types of of, um, bankroll fluctuations no matter how you play but if you are playing specifically these type of games or exclusively or, or mainly these type of games i think it actually makes sense to be have cash in your repertoire because you're actually like really folks you're you're already really trying to focus on the the best place possible right so understanding what cash game builds are is really going to translate into these type of contests people aren't putting cash lineups into them but they're playing a lot of cash game type plays in these lineups and and the roster constructions kind of fall into cash game type roster builds um so i i think just having a, a understanding of that is going to allow you to build better lineups in these size fields because there are there is going to be so much crossover with the players with the roster constructions um, and also like I just I just think I, I just think it's a good idea for most players to be playing some type of cash because it does give you some kind of like psychological weekly cushion like it's really hard to be whiffing on all of your cash games and I, I think that's super important. Yeah, you you also just have no way of judging progress because tournaments have high mm-hmm, variance mm-hmm. in outcomes, and so if you're point. not ready for that. And you, if you want to be able to judge your progress as you're learning these concepts, I think cash is probably the most important place to do it. Yeah, one one thing that I do like to do if you are playing strictly single entry or or um, or three max is um, I, I'm still in this this. Uh, verbiage from joe hulk i don't know if he got it from someone else but um layering my games what i mean by that is like if i'm playing the 300 dollars single entry contest on DraftKings and i'm not playing that many lineups that like there's some weeks where i only played three lineups i might just play two tournament lineups and a cash game lineup um 
layering that that main GPP contest with some smaller multipliers, with some smaller double ups. Again, just to give yourself like if you're playing only a hundred against 185 people and it's only playing paying out 20% of the field, like, you know, if, if it's paying out 36 people and you have the 37th best lineup and you get no money for it, you're like, that was a really dumb week. Play it in a small five X play it in a small three X play it in a small double up. At least you're getting some return on, on, on a decent lineup, you know, and, and you could get carried away to a point where you're getting like, it's, it's diminishing returns, but I think there are some smart ways to layer your, your big GPP lineups into smaller contests and just to give yourself some return when it does hit like these. Um, I, I really like these small, 5x or quintuple up contest there's only 22 people and a lot of time even if it isn't a top 20 percent lineup it'll finish in the top you know in the payout structure of those quintuple ups because you know 22 people there could be a lot of band lineups some positive in that, in variance. That. yeah exactly exactly um any i i have some data i have some other data on on some of these um these smaller um size contest, but do you have any, any other thoughts on these small single entry type games? That pretty much wraps it up for me. But one thing I would suggest is try out hand building and optimizer building. Mm -hmm. I actually build single entry lineups with an optimizer and prefer it. Um, but I have buddies who think I am nuts. So I, one thing I would suggest is, uh, try out different styles with how you build. Yeah. And then are you, um, are, are you being pretty specific about like your game selection and your payout structure in these? Because actually like as much as I, I, I preach about payout structure, I, I think that is really important if you're playing a hundred lineups every week and, and you do want to maximize the number of times I could cash because they're, you're playing so many and the, the line is so thin. Sometimes if I'm only playing against a hundred other people, like, the difference between a 22% and a 25% payout compared to like a bigger first place prize, I actually might tend to favor the upside more in a super small contest. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I yeah, I haven't been super specific with it, to mm -hmm. be honest. And I, I, I do look at the payout structure. If it is a cashier payout structure, then I'm just going to make a more cash friendly lineup most likely. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, as I mentioned there, there's just some, a, a couple interesting things that, that I noted about these again, the, and this is just DraftKings. It's, it's unfortunately FanDuel doesn't like let you access all of their contests unless you have, have played them. So looking at the contests that I've played, uh, mostly on, on DraftKings at $300 single entry, I, I think this does translate to a lot of similar contests. I mentioned that the average cumulative ownership around 160%, that's probably the most important thing to note. Like your, your average or your, your, cumulative ownership however you want to look at it that target number is really important that's going to be the biggest difference from these type of contests to these large field gpps um but stacking i, I think stacking is actually surprisingly similar to what we see um, on both FanDuel and DraftKings of the top five lineups. Uh, we've seen um, like 90% of them have a, uh, a quarterback stack on average, three players in their quarterback stack on DraftKings. 71% of these lineups have used a bring back with their quarterback stack, which is probably a little bit more than what we've seen in, in large field tournaments, which again, like these, like you said, you, you can overcorrelate in these smaller fields, but but I think if you're if you are doing it like to an extent, it probably makes sense just to try to get less things right. The thing that's really surprising, that, and usually this has been more more on on FanDuel in large field tournaments than it has been on DraftKings, but I think it has more to do with the size of the field. Seventy four percent of lineups have used a secondary stack or a mini correlation, at least one of them. And of those secondary stacks, seventy six percent have been a, a running back with another player in their game. That happens a ton on FanDuel. That's very prominent on FanDuel. Not as much on DraftKings, but in these smaller fields, we see it. And again, it makes more sense figure out these situations that we want to target, try to get them right. We don't need a 99th percentile score. We don't need to get every other player right. Let's get a couple games right. It's going to be easier to get a 90th percentile score. Um, yeah, any, la any last thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, yeah, you with one lineup, I think you just said it there, but just ignore a lot of the games. You can really focus on yeah, one, yep, two, exactly. maybe three games and build lineups based on those being the smash spots. Ignore the rest of the slate. 
Yeah, I think that's that's actually probably probably the best note to think about. Find two or three games that you really like, maybe one or two value plays that might not be in those games, and, and it's really going to keep you from like pulling your hair out and right and trying to cover all your bases, right? Right, trying to avoid those FOMO plays. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, good luck trying to avoid those FOMO plays as you get into building this weekend. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, please check out our uh, podcast on all podcast platforms. If you're listening to the podcast, please check out our YouTube. Please rate and review on iTunes if you're listening. Please like and subscribe on YouTube if you are watching. Just a reminder, again, the DFS subscription has dropped down to $49 for the rest of the year. So head on over to 4for4.com for that. If you haven't signed up for prize picks yet, you can go to 4for4.com slash prize picks to get details on getting a 4 for 4 subscription for as little as $20. And make sure you are checking out our other DFS MVP shows, our cash game review every Monday on YouTube at 2 p.m. Eastern time, Yahoo Values with Matt Harmon on the Yahoo podcast feed and the DFS MVP podcast feed every Saturday the GPP last look show with Jordan show with Jordan Vanek every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern time in the subscriber only discord. Make sure you sign up for that discord by clicking the link in the description and make sure you are following all of us on Twitter. Four for four is at four for four football. Matt is at draftaholic. I'm at teacher Hernandez. We will talk to you guys on Monday.